Romans, the 12th chapter, if you would go to, please. Romans 12. And uh, I want you to uh, focus, like always, but uh, you may hear some things a little different <laughs> than what you've heard or even thought. So um, we've been laying foundation on this series for a number of lessons now. If you're watching online, you can go to the website and get caught up, watch them, listen to them, download them. No charge. Won't cost you anything. And uh, we've built to a point where I believe we can get into some of these things we're about to today. In uh, Romans 12th chapter, in the first verse, Romans 12:1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. One thing the Lord has quickened to me as I've, you know, walked more with him and longer in the ministry and, and getting older, most of us do not value our bodies the way we should. Not even one amen. <laughs> Your body is an amazing thing. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And your body is not your own. It is bought and paid for with a price. And um, many, many people, including believers and church-going people, they neglect their body, they abuse their body, they despise their body, and it's a mistake. I said it's a mistake. It's the most valuable physical possession you have stewardship over. Far more important than clothes, car, house, jewelry, any of those things. So somebody say, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord for, my for my body. Show me how, Show me how to, take to take care of it and treat it like I should. Like I should. Hallelujah. It's actually his body. Yes. He bought it. He paid for it. So you want to deal with it, take care of it the way he wants it. Is that right? Not just, people say, well, it's my body. I can do, not if you're a believer. That's not even true. You're a steward over it. And if you, when you lose your body, you can't stay here. Is that right? Your earthly ministry is done. And so you don't want to leave early and you don't want to be hindered you want it to be fully functional and fully capable of accomplishing God's will and plan for your life, which is what we're talking about. You need your body to do the will of God. His will for my life is teaching and preaching. But do you see all this? Without this body, I couldn't have got here today. You couldn't hear me talk. Come on, is that right? A lot of things have to be working. Brain, heart, lungs, kidneys, blood, vocal cords, a lot of stuff. Just like you. How'd you get here today? Somebody say it again. Thank you, Lord, for my body. Thank you for it. Hallelujah. Thank you for it. Well, here he said, present it as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Keep going. Be not conformed to this world. See, that's ungodly, worldly thinking, that it doesn't matter what I do with my body. It's my body. I can do what I want to with it. That's ungodly, worldly mentality. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When he says perfect will of God, that word perfect, could be translated complete, complete will of God. If there's a complete will of God, what else must there be? Incomplete or partial. There's a partial and there's a perfect. There's a complete and there's an incomplete. And the truth is, many on the planet are completely out of the will of God. They're not in his will in any shape, form, or fashion. And then there are others 
And I, I, I should also say there are millions of people who don't care. They don't want to know the will of God. They don't want to find out. They have no intention of doing it. And then there are others who are partially in the will of God. They're willing to do some of the will of God. The rest of it they reserve for themselves, And they run their life the way they want to. But smart people. And I pastor smart people. You should be in full agreement with this. Is that right? <laughs> smart people like faith life people. We desire and we pursue. To be in the perfect will of God, which is also the happiest place on earth. The safest place on earth. The most prosperous place on earth. The healthiest place on earth. Isn't it? What? The perfect will of God. Now, uh, Two big, and this is what we're going to get into some today, I believe, two big misconceptions, two big errors concerning the will of God that's common throughout churches even. Number one is that everything that happens is God's will. And the other one is that God's will is beyond our understanding. We can't understand it. That doesn't even make sense because how could we ever be expected to do it? Right? If we can't even understand it. And I know it sounds funny, but much of the church believes these things. They believe these two. And I want to talk about this first one some more today. And that's the idea that everything is somehow the mysterious will of God. All the bad stuff and all the good stuff. And, you know, we don't understand why all of these terrible things happen. But nothing happens except God either does it or he allows it. And if he allows it, he must have had reason for it. And so it is his will one way or the other. This is wrong thinking. This is contrary to Bible. It is also being irresponsible. It's refusing to take responsibility to find and do the will of God yourself. Just say, well, you know, it's all up to him. Everything's all up to him. Look with me, and they'll put it on the screen here. Isaiah 1 and 19. Isaiah 1 and 19. Many are familiar with these verses, but look at it again. He said, if You're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Verse 20, but if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured with the sword. The mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Which one is the will of God? Eating the good of the land or being devoured? Well, which one is the will of God? Being obedient or being disobedient? Whose choice is it? God's predetermined, foreordained will? Now, you know, a lot of you have been around for a while and we're in agreement on some of these things we've seen from the Word. But a whole lot of people have some really twisted ideas about this. At one time, I did. When I was uh, first born again, in my late teens then, I I was born again earlier than that, but a few years later, I actually told somebody. I was trying to affirm how much faith I had that God's in control. And we were by a highway, and traffic was passing by, and somehow or another we got in this conversation about you know, God's will and God's power. And I said, yeah, I said, you know, God's in control. I mean, he's in total control. I said, you know, there was a truck coming. I said, you know, if I stepped out into the road in front of that truck, it couldn't hurt me unless it was the will of God. 
Now you're laughing, but people believe this stuff. I'm saying, I said that. Thank God it was a long, long time ago. I've learned some things. Thank you, Lord, since then. But what am I saying? I'm, I'm, I'm saying what so many people believe that one way or another, God is controlling everything and nothing happens unless it's his will. That is untrue. I said it's untrue. That's acting like human beings have no control. That they have no will of their own. No. It's simply not true. Notice again Isaiah 1.19. What does it start off with? If. If God is completely controlling everything, there can be no if. There can be no if. What do you mean? If God's controlling everything, then it's going to be the way he determined regardless of what you or anybody else think, say, or do. There can be no if. But if there's an if, that means somebody else has a choice. And it's not set in stone how it's going to go. And the result will be determined by the decision, by the choice. If you choose this, you will have this outcome. If you choose something else, you'll have a different outcome. Regardless of God's will. Oh, are y'all listening or not? Are y'all listening or not? See, millions of people don't believe that. But is that what we just read? Which one's God's will? Eating the good of the land? Or being devoured and destroyed? Which one? Well, if it's God's will for you to eat the good of the land, then you will eat the good of the land no matter how you live or what you think or what you believe, right? Well, it's his will. (laughs) No. You don't have to do his will. You can ignore his will. You can reject his will. And if you do that, if you refuse and rebel, you're going to get something that's not God's will. You'll be devoured. You'll be destroyed. You won't eat the good of the land. And while you're being destroyed, you can say, I don't know why God is doing this to me. And you'll be talking like a fool. Because it wasn't his choice. I actually had the Lord say that to me some years ago. I happened to catch a news program. It was an interview show. And they were interviewing a real well-known pastor. And that's why I stopped and watched it for a minute. And I mean, this thing goes all over the world. This is a well-known show. And this was a number of years ago. And um, eventually the, I started to say interrogator, but it was, (laughs) it kind of felt like that toward the end. The interviewer (laughs) was trying to put the pastor on the spot by saying, you know, if God is love, See, notice the question, if. Well, he is. No ifs about it. If God is love, how can a God who is love send people to hell, an eternal place of destruction and torment? How could love do that? And uh, so anyway, there was some discussion about that a little bit. And I actually spoke up. I said, nobody there but me watching at the moment. I said, Lord. What's the best way to answer that? I mean, I don't believe that there's any evil or bad in you. I believe you are love and good. But what's the best way to answer that? And I mean, just before I finished uh, saying that, up out of my spirit came these words. He said, Keith, it's not my choice. Now, is that true or not? Keith, it's not my choice choice. Did God say it's not my choice? And so I actually, I went to the Word and began looking up these things and studying these things and that's where the series came from You Choose. And if you hadn't seen this or heard this we recommend it to you. You Choose. Because we go through the scriptures in detail. One of the scriptures we look at if uh, in Deuteronomy 11 if you, they'll, they'll put it on the screen. Deuteronomy 11 26, 
Deuteronomy 11:26 says, "Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you to go after other gods which you've not known." So which is God's will? Blessing or curse? Obedience or disobedience? See, if somebody's experiencing the full force of the curse and they've been disobedient and they're saying, well, this curse, I don't understand it, but all this bad stuff is somehow the mysterious will of God. You're saying your disobedience that brought the curse is the will of God. You're saying disobedience was God's will and the results of it. Absolutely no. Never. Did he say, I said it before you. In Deuteronomy 30, he brings this up again. And God never changes. Deuteronomy 30 and 14. Actually, this verse is quoted in Romans chapter 10, describing how to be born again. This verse, Deuteronomy 30, 14, he said, The word is very nigh you in your mouth and in your heart. Anybody remember reading that in Romans 10? He goes on to say, even the word of faith, which we preach. You know, that's what Paul preached. He's a faith guy. That you may do it. He said, see, verse 15, I have set before you this day life and good and death and evil. Verse 19 I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. That's a big statement. Is this a big statement? I mean, when God says something, it's true. It's forever settled. It's right. But he he is adding something to this. He's saying, I'm calling every being in heaven and every being on earth to hear what I'm saying and bear record this, that I have set Before you. What does that mean? I've given you the choice. Why would he need to say. I call heaven and earth to record. Because people to this day. Are attributing every bad thing to him. And it's a lie. It's acting like human beings. Have no will. They have no choice. But they do. We do. I set before you. Life, death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, even gives you a hint, which one to pick, what? Choose life, not I have already chosen for you. No. Which one's God's will, life or death? You know, in, in Ezekiel, the Lord says repeatedly, I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies. He said it several times. I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies. And he goes on to say, so turn and repent. That is how you avoid destruction. Turn and repent. Hallelujah. What that means is you were headed to destruction, but you repent. And now you turn and you're going somewhere else. You're not headed to destruction anymore. But it is not. God's choice. It is not predetermined. It is not set in stone. This is where a lot of people stumble because they've been taught wrong. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Exodus. They'll they'll put this on the screen. Exodus 32 and 8. There are two instances where this happened that we're about to read. When God delivered his people out of Egyptian slavery, bondage, and um, he brought them out, you know, with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes, and he's taken them to the promised land. On this occasion, he called Moses to come up to the mount, and he was there in the glory with God for 40 days. And 40 nights. And he gave Moses, gave to Moses the stone tablets 
that were written with the Ten Commandments, uh, engraved with the finger of God. Hallelujah. And also, over that period of time, 40 days, he gave him a lot of instructions and about what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's evil. And, and anyway, uh, the rest of the bunch is down, you know, at, at, at the base of the mountain. And they have, uh, uh, after 40 days, they decide, they, they said, we don't know what's happened to this guy, Moses. And so they said, what we need to do is make us some new gods. Because Moses, and I mean, it hadn't been, you know, less than two months when the Lord revealed to them one of the top things is you'll have no other gods before me and, and you don't uh, make any graven image. And, and they, they said, oh, whatever the Lord says, we'll do it. How quickly people can change. How fickle human beings can be. And so uh, the Lord told Moses while he's up there with him, he said, your people that you brought out of Egypt, God talking to Moses, your people that you, I mean, he don't even want to claim them anymore, that you brought out of Egypt, they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be your gods, O Israel, which have brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They're given the glory for what God did to a gold statue. And it made God mad. Can't blame him. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. What stiff-necked? Won't listen. Won't do what you tell them to do unteachable, uncorrectable, rebellious, defiant. That's what it means. Somebody's talking to you and you go, no, you can't make me, I'm, see, stiff-necked. Stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone. Because he knew he would intercede. Leave me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. That that seems harsh. Well, you're not God. Your perspective is different from his. And you remember the flood? (laughs) This has happened before. (laughs) Huh? God, the Bible said, Genesis 6, and there's some time had passed since creation and the fall of man. And it said that throughout the earth, man's intent and occupation was only evil continuously. And it repented God that he had made man. You remember that? Repent. Sorry. That he had made them. And uh, you, know, you know what saved us? Noah. And the mercy and plan of God. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Do you know how close we all came to not being here? Somebody say, Thank you, Noah. Thank you, brother. Because, you know, in a world full of self-serving, self-interest, full-blown evil, if you act evil, you don't even stand out. It's easier just to go with the flow. He went upstream. He got mocked. He got ridiculed. But God used him. Hallelujah. And saved the species. (laughs) Saved mankind. Well, here is what the Lord's saying I'll start over with you, Moses. Why? Because Moses wasn't stiff necked. The Bible said in, in Numbers 12 3, now the man Moses was meek above all the men that were on the face of the earth. 
He was the most humble man on the planet at the time. And he was the most used man of God on the planet. Remember that's what Jesus said. Come learn of me. I'm meek and lowly of heart. What's he saying? I can work with you. You'll listen to me. This bunch. I mean 40 days. (laughs) They couldn't last 40 days. 40 days. And not only are they just saying. We don't know what we're going to do next. No. We want new gods. New gods. And produce them. And now praise this dumb calf. For delivering you out of Egypt. Can't blame God for saying, leave me alone. (laughs) Tired of this? I will start over with you. I know some years ago, well, this has happened several times. I could probably think of half a dozen times in the last 40 years where we felt like we had direction. Phyllis and myself in the ministry, and we pursued something. Well, we knew we had direction. I'm thinking of this one particular thing. The Lord dealt with us about starting another church. And um, I won't go through all the details of it, but there was some Book of Acts stuff that happened. Where we wound up in a place we never intended to. And people needed our help. and, And we thought, well, man, this is God. But then over the course of months, the people got in, kind of messed it up and, and, and were hindering some things. And, and finally the Lord told me, leave it alone. Leave it. Now, and it bothered me. I, I thought, now hold on God. You don't change. Did I miss it? And I, I thought, how could I have missed it? I mean, this was so amazingly spiritual in, in God. I, but I want to be ready to admit it if I did miss it. It's not God today and now it's not God. God, okay, do it. And God says, no, don't do it. He said, no, I'm telling you, leave it alone. I said, well, God, you don't change. He said, Keith, anytime he says that, I go, I I get quiet. (laughs) He said, I can do things more than one way. And he took me to this passage. He said, I can do, because I'm thinking, did I miss it? And then he he helped me to see, no, you didn't miss it. Did God miss it by taking these people out of Egypt? (laughs) That's not a trick question. (laughs) God doesn't miss it. So then how's he going to say now, okay, I'm going to wipe the slate clean with them. I'm going to start over with you. These things are not written in stone. God can do things more than one way. Most of the church doesn't believe this, but it's in the Word. Isn't it? Go with me to Numbers 14. This happened again later in Numbers 14. You would think by the mercy of God that people would learn a lesson. You cannot throw any stones at them because you have made similar mistakes. People say, I never made a gold calf. (laughs) Check your history. (laughs) Anything that you put ahead of God is an idol. The Bible said covetousness is idolatry. Right? Keep your hands down, but have you ever coveted anything? (laughs) Anyway, let's sow some mercy and reap some mercy. Numbers 14 is when they came to Kadesh and they were supposed to go into the promised land. They saw the giants, they saw the walled cities, and they said, we can't, there's no way. Caleb and Joshua said, let's go today, let's do it, get it done. And they said, no, we will stone you. And this thing spiraled out of control. They sobbed and cried in their tents. In the first part of this chapter, Numbers 14, and they said, put this together with Deuteronomy chapter 1 and other places. It said, uh, they said, it's because God hated us 
that he brought us out here to kill us. And then they said, let's get some new leadership. And let's go back to Egypt. So they are firing, trying to, Moses and Aaron, because they didn't hire them to start with. And they are saying, you are no longer our leaders. We're getting new leaders and we're going back to Egypt. And uh, Numbers 14, 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be until they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? Verse 12, I will smite them with a pestilence and disinherit them and make of you a greater nation and mightier than them. I'll do it. And Moses, he immediately went into intercession. And you can read the rest of it. He said, God, you know, if you do, then everybody will hear about it. And they'll say, it's because you couldn't get them in to the promised land. And they've heard of all the stuff that you did. He said, Lord, you have said that you are merciful and you are gracious. Let the Lord's grace be now. You know, forgive your people, pardon your people. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Is God fickle? Does he change? We're going to do this. We're not going to do this. I changed my mind. He doesn't change. So how do you explain this? People change. And then according to what they do, what he's able to do with them changes. Can you see this? I know again, a lot of people don't believe this. But are we reading the Bible or not? That's what the Lord took me to that passage. When I was asked, I said, now Lord, how could this have been the will of God last week? And now we're not going to do it? And he helped me to realize that the people were unwilling to do some things he wanted done. And he's not going to make them do it. And I can't. And I need to back off and leave it alone. And that's when he said to me, I can do things more than one way. And he took me to this. He said, you remember, I told Moses, I'll make of you a greater nation than them. I'll start over. He's done it, I think, a lot more times than we know. <laughs> hmm. And you need to understand this. God has a plan for you. And he's included you in his plan. And there are things you are to contribute, things you are to do, things you're to be a part of before you leave this life. But if you don't do it, if you drag your feet, if you procrastinate, even especially if months turn into years and you won't do it and the time is running out and he, he needs it done, you know what he will do? He will use someone else. He will use someone else. He will get it done. But you may not be a part. And that won't be his choice. He's merciful. And he'll, oh, he's long suffering. A lot, lot longer suffering than you would be. Or I would be. Long suffering. But there comes a point where People need something. Something needs to be done. If you're not going to do what you're supposed to be do, they're counting on him too. Come on, can you see that? And you run out of time. And so he'll use somebody else. That's what he's saying here. Go with me, if you would, to Isaiah, the 38th chapter, I believe it is. Why would the Lord say, I call heaven and earth to record to witness this? What? I said it before you. Life, death, blessing, cursing. You choose. So he told me, he said, concerning that interview I was watching, he said, it's not my choice, Keith. What? Whether they're going to hell or not. 
It's not my choice. I'm not sending them. You know, if you don't want God, there's only one other place to go. The devil and his bunch. And the rest of the unbelievers. And God didn't pick it for you. You rejected him. Isaiah 38. Are you glad by the grace of God that you have been able to say, Lord, I I respond. I receive you. Do you want to do his will? I don't want anybody else taking my reward. Right? Well, then that means I better get it in gear. Do you know what I mean by that? No time to loiter around, procrastinate for years, act like you don't care. When something comes up in your heart and the Lord shows you what to do, do it. Be available. Be faithful. Be steady. And, and all you got to do, you don't have to, you know, don't just do something rash, but stay involved. Stay hooked. Pray. Listen. Keep doing what he tells you to do unless and, and until he tells you to do something else. You got to watch about unhooking early. Then you're in limbo. You don't know. You know. No, these things are supposed to mesh together. Keep, keep. Uh, I know when when I first started leading songs, I led song music uh, Wednesday nights at, at Rama Church, and I led uh, singing and praise at prayer school and healing school a lot during the uh, '80s. And um, there were times when I'd be leading a song, and uh, then I'd change. And boy, the anointing was good, and then I'd change, and it just kind of fell off, and it was dry. And I thought, Lord, what's, uh, what's going on here? He said, son, when I give you something, stay with it until I give you something else. Yeah. See, I was just changing because I thought we've done that long enough. <laughs> you ever done that? Keep your hand down. I was just changing because... Certain amount of time had passed, and now we change. But no, what did you say? When I give you something, stay with it until I give you something else. Don't just unhook and, you know, you're unhooked. Isaiah 38, notice how this worked. Isaiah 38 and 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick unto death. So he's got a terminal issue, incurable terminal. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Is Isaiah a real prophet? He better be. We got his book in the Bible. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Are you joking? Isaiah was and is real man of God. When he said, thus saith the Lord, it was thus saith the Lord. And when it's recorded by the Holy Spirit in the scriptures, hmm, did the Lord tell him to say that? Absolutely. Why? Because this is what's going to happen. But did it? Have you read this? Keep going, verse 2. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord. He said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a perfect heart. I've done what's good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah. And if you read uh, the Second Kings 20 portion of it, it says before he was gone to the middle court. This happened. I mean, he he hadn't got out of the king's house, the king's palace yet. He's not out the front door yet. He's leaving. And the Lord says, Isaiah, yes, sir, go back. Turn around. Go back and tell Hezekiah the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. 
So Hezekiah must have been sincere. Must have been from the heart. He said, I will add unto your days 15 years. Hold up, hold up. I thought he was supposed to set his house in order. Because he's dying. Did God just change his mind? Uh Uh-uh. No. We're going to see that more clearly in a moment. What changed? Hezekiah changed. He made a change. Where do we see it? When he turned his face to the wall. And he got busy praying. And he got serious with God. Some things happened. And they happened quickly. He said, I've heard you turn around. Go back in. And I don't know if Isaiah thought, well, Lord, what about that first prophecy? (laughs) Did I miss it? No, you didn't miss it. Under those circumstances, under those conditions, that is what would have happened. But there's been a change. Not with God. He doesn't change. There's been a change with Hezekiah. So now there's a change of what's going to happen. It's not set in stone. Can you see this? It's not set in stone. In fact, the further I go, I'm realizing God gives us a lot of leeway. Even on how we do some things. Now we ought to continually, the Bible said, in all your ways acknowledge him. And he'll direct your path. You want to get it done right, you need to be checking in with him, led by the Spirit every step of the way. And yet at the same time, he's not going to make you do anything. He won't do it. And he wants us to develop. And so he leaves a lot of it in our hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And a lot of things we have done imperfectly. And yet, if our heart was right, you know, it's hard to steer a parked car. You can jerk on the steering wheel, nothing happens. Even if the car is moving erratically, it goes, it stops. It goes, it stops. At least you can do some steering. Is that right? <laughs> and that's, that's us. We have not done things as consistently, as well, as completely as we could or should. Haven't responded as quickly and fully as we should or precisely as we should. But God's big enough that if our heart's right... He helps fill in and work and smooth out and <laughs> adjust this and adjust that. He gives us a lot of freeway. I actually one time was asking the Lord about a certain amount to believe for in the ministry or about something that looked like it was a big price thing to me. And he spoke to my heart. He said, son, I don't care how much it costs. Just get the job done. What does he care about American dollars? There won't be any in a few years or any other kind of currency. He creates planets, stars. You understand what I'm talking about? Just get the job done. Get it done. Get it done. And if you will give yourself to it, even though you may do a lot of things imperfectly, he's not just critiquing every natural thing. He's looking at your heart. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. He's looking at your heart. And if you're wholehearted towards him and fully committed and and believing with your heart and walking in faith and love and endeavoring to be led, you'll get there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You'll get there. He'll see to it. But don't imagine that you can just do nothing, never pray, never be willing to be a part or do anything, and the will of God is going to automatically happen in your life. A lot of people try to believe that, but it simply is not true. Notice what this went on to say. He said, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. 
I will heal you, King said, 2 Kings 20, and I will add to your days 15 years and I'll deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. I'll defend this city. Now after he was healed, Hezekiah wrote, we'd call it a poem and a song about his deliverance and healing. And it's in this same chapter, Isaiah 38, verse 9, the writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness. He said, I said in the cutting off of my days, I will go to the gates of the grave. I'm deprived of the residue of my years. I said, I'll not see the Lord, even the Lord in the land of the living. I'll behold man no more with the inhabitants of the world. That's after the first prophecy. (laughs) Such as, in order, you're going to die. Not just just even a a doctor's report. This is, thus saith the Lord. Right? (laughs) You're going to die. Now, there's a lot of people who say, well, if the Lord says you're going to die, you're going to die. Apparently not. Not necessarily. The mercy of God is astounding. It is amazing. You know, recently we were reading in the book of Revelation. And in there is the passage about, he said, you went to one church, he said, you are suffering that woman Jezebel to mislead my servants and all this other kind of evil stuff. And he said, this judgment is going to come on her and all this stuff. And the last part of the verse says, unless she repents. Wow. Except she repents. Really? This is astounding. This is astounding. Except She repents. He said, this is going to happen unless it's not set in stone. Can you see this? Can you hear this? It's not set. All these things are not set in stone. We do have a choice. We do have a will. Now, the overall plan of God, it's going to get done. Whether it's me or you or not. Right? God will, you know... He can do things more than one way. But I want to do my part. I don't want to be left out. I don't want to be passed over. I want to do my part. And that's not up to God. That's that's up to me. But I want you to notice this. Verse 17, we know there was repentance with Hezekiah when he turned his face to the wall and prayed. Verse 17 He said, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness. You have in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. So he's aware he had sinned that got him to this place where set your house in order, you're going to die. And yet he was really too young that he should be dying right then, but that's how it was going to be. But he repented. Oh, friend. Repentance is the greatest gift. The Bible said in 2 Peter, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. No matter how it may be that according to right now, things are going to turn out terribly. Unless you repent. And if you repent and become willing and obedient, the destruction and devouring stops And you're delivered and healed. Can even live another decade or two. Woo. And eat the good of the land. Hallelujah. So when we're talking about the will of God. He doesn't change. The good things that are his will and his plan doesn't change. But people change. Oh do they change. And how the will of God happens in our life is not set in stone. Notice it goes on to say, verse 20. Oh, I want you to notice this. Verse 20. Are you there? The Lord was ready to save me. When? When he told him, put your house in order for you're going to die. Even though he told him that, and even though that's how it was going to happen unless there were changes, 
the Lord was wanting him to repent so he could change it. Notice, do you see how quickly all this happened? He told him this. Hezekiah goes, oh God, I wanted to live some more. He says, everybody out, everybody out, and don't bother me, shut the door. He turns his face to the wall. Why do you turn your face to the wall? Because you can't see anything else. Is that right? You, I mean, he is, he is not getting any text right now. <laughs> You're about to die, brother. You better get serious. Is that right? And I mean, he poured his heart out and he prayed and he was willing to change and he confessed his sins. And I mean, Isaiah is not out of the house. And the Holy, the Spirit of God says, Isaiah, wait, wait, wait. Turn around. Go back. Tell him, I heard your prayer. You're not going to die right now. In fact, I'm going to heal you. I'm adding to your days 15 years right now. Glory to God. Man, that's a big change. Barely got enough time to, to do your will. Versus 15 years. Maybe more. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. The Lord was ready to save me. See, he never changes. Abundance is always his will. Longevity is always his will. Can you see that? Goodness, your needs being met. Healing is always his will. Always. And when we adjust to him, he's able to adjust the outcome. Can you say glory to God? Glory to God. Everybody stand on your feet. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.